I've gone here uh, at, to First Baptist for uh, three years now, all three years I've been at Tech. Um, and uh, my kind of, just so you know a little more about me, I want to go either to law and or seminary. How that works, we can talk afterwards because I don't really know either. Um, and so uh, another cool thing about me, well, it's not very cool, it's actually very corny, is that recently I rekindled my love for Skillet. Uh, now, anybody who is raised maybe in the Christian household might know about Skillet. Uh, Skillet is a Christian metal band. Yes, like I said, not a cool fact, corny fact. Uh, Christ, it's a Christian metal band, uh, and uh, I, I love it. Uh, I was never big metal head like when I was growing up, but like in middle school, I always loved the songs of theirs that would come on the radio. Uh, I didn't really have a lot of songs on iTunes, but it was one of the few songs I'd bought, like one of the first ones was a Skillet song. Uh, and recently, you know, I've, uh, okay, uh, recently I had been, uh, you know, just like listening to my normal music and like it just wasn't hitting, you know, it just, there was not that meaning or that emotion behind it. Uh, I was kind of getting like, uh, you know, it was losing its luster. And so uh, over the past few weeks, uh, just with school stress and some things in my walk with Christ and other things going on in my life, uh, when for some reason I'm like, you know what, I'm going to study and type this paper to Skillet. Uh, it just really spoke to me. Uh, and uh, if you look at the lyrics of Skillet, even like any of their music, like, uh, yeah, I mean, they're corny lyrics, but, <laughs> and, but they're really still emotional. You can feel the emotion in the music, and you can tell that they all have meaning, right? And I think that's really what stuck out to me. Uh, and uh, so much so that it stuck at, stick, stuck out to me that uh, last week before Awaken, uh, I was just sitting with the band in the depot before we rehearsed, and I mentioned that I'd gotten back into Skillet, and <laughs> Gabriel Rivera, uh, he, he denies this now, but he said, like, dude, that's so corny, and <laughs> I was like, okay, that's it, and so then I evangelized for 10 minutes how Skillet was such a great band to Bailey, Jenna, and Gabe, just for them to kind of look back like, it's Skillet, like, that's just so corny. Uh, and they were like, why would you spend so much time like telling us about Skillet? Like, cool, we get it. You like Skillet. Um, and I think the reason was because like I'd found something meaningful, right? Something that impacted me. Uh, it had meaning in a sea of other music that just wasn't hitting. You know, it didn't have meaning. Um, and so when you find something that you think is meaningful, it changes the way you act. It changes everything about your life, right? Uh, even just finding Skillet for a week uh, and listening to uh, just a few songs over and over again on repeat changed the way I was talking to people that week, changed the way I viewed the week, uh, changed my conversations, changed the way I spend my time, literally, not listening to other music and listening to Skillet. Um, and, uh, you know, it spills over into the rest of your life. And so... Um, Another big thing that uh, I've found meaning in in college, and perhaps the biggest thing, uh, is the gospel. I've found meaning in Christ that I hadn't. I'd grown up in church my whole life and uh, never really decided to follow Christ with everything I had and to make that the meaning of my life, right? I was serving things like uh, my own success, uh, my academics, uh, how I was perceived by others, sports, things like that. And uh, none of it had meaning. It all was over when high school finished. And I think that hit me like a ton of bricks. And uh, 
the second Sunday I was ever here, uh, Chris asked, like, do you want to be a replica of a follower? Do you want to be a good church person, or do you want to follow Christ? And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's the moment I was saved or if it was when I was six or whenever it was, but I know from that point onward, I've decided I want to live my life with meaning and with purpose. And so when we find something meaningful, it changes everything. It changes how we live. It changes how we spend our money. Uh, I've heard it said that if you look at somebody's checkbook, their receipts, and their calendar, you can tell what that person loves, finds meaning in, adores, and what their purpose in life is. Uh, And uh, I think that's really true. When we find something that's meaningful, it changes everything about our lives, the way we talk, the way we have relationships, so on and so forth. And so I want to ask you this question. What are you doing with your life? And that may sound like really existential, but what are you doing with your life? What is the meaning of your life? How are you spending your time? How are you putting your energy? What are you devoting yourself to? And does it matter? Uh, seems like a very blunt question. Many of you probably weren't expecting like, to have an existential question like that thrown out. But that's going to be the subject of today's passage um, in Hebrews 3. And so uh, just like tonight, I want, to, I want you all to know just up front that you have an opportunity uh, in this life to be a part of something eternal that's not just about yourself, not just about your pleasure, not just about forefronting yourself and progressing yourself and getting better uh, and getting ahead. There's something that you can take into the next life, and I promise you it's not schoolwork, and it's not the way others perceive you. Um, and so tonight, uh, I want to say that that one source of meaning is Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. I think Jesus is the truth and the way to an abundant life that uh, we'll talk about later. Um, and tonight, do you think Jesus is worth it? Do you believe he is who he says he is? Right? And that's really what faith is all about. We hear that word thrown about a lot in church, faith. Uh, and that's re- truly believing Jesus is who he says he is, and that should shape everything about our lives. Uh, So yeah, let's get into it. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this night. Thank you for this church where we get to gather each Wednesday uh, as college students and learn more about you and open the word. Uh, There's not, uh, there are places around the world where we couldn't do this, Lord. I thank you for uh, the fact that we get to come here, not in the same situation the Hebrews did with all the suffering and persecution, but we get to come here and openly and freely uh, learn about you. I pray for the message tonight, Lord, that you use me, uh, that your Holy Spirit speak through me, and that anything that I say that's not from you just be forgotten. Uh, I pray over Hebrews 3, and I pray over everybody here that the message would impact them tonight, that your Holy Spirit would convict us all uh, and move us to live for you. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so now to read through Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who, are, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more, than, more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God." Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken uh, that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are His house if indeed we hold our confidence, hold fast our confidence, and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness 
where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you uh, to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So, just some context uh, for those of you who haven't been here in the past or those who need a recap. Uh, Hebrews is a book that's been written to uh, Christians in Rome, but specifically Christians from a Hebrew background. Uh, The Hebrews or the Jews were the uh, people God had called to himself in the Old Testament uh, to be a part of this nation that served him and that pointed to him. And they failed to live up to it, and uh, that's not just because of who they were. That's all of us as humans. We fail to live up to God's standards. Um, and so Christ comes on the scene, right? And Christ fulfills all the Old Testament, uh, and that's what we're seeing throughout all of Hebrews. Uh, Christ fulfills the Old Testament. He lives his perfect life, dies on the cross for our sins. He takes the punishment of our sin upon us, satisfies God's wrath towards our sin, and uh, he allows us to be clean and atone like we couldn't have been before, right? And uh, Jesus not only did that, but because Jesus was God, he rose from the dead. And that's how we know we have victory, right? Because like, like him, Romans 6 tells us that we'll be buried with him and raised with him, right? Uh, that's by virtue of our faith. And uh, so we, uh, you know, we're getting this picture, and uh, for the Hebrews, this is really significant. The first two chapters and really this whole book are talking about who Christ is and how that impacts us, right? The Hebrews, uh, right now, uh, the Hebrew Christians are under persecution from the Roman Empire, but also from fellow Hebrews who do not believe Christ is the promised Messiah, right? The promised chosen one. And so they're being pressured by all sides through government persecution, social persecution, to just drop this whole Christ thing, right? And just go back to the way things were forget about it, uh, apostatize, and go back to unbelief. And they're experiencing all this suffering. And uh, the, the thing is, is that they were losing sight of who Christ was, right? If, if you truly believe Christ is who he says he is, all the sufferings go away. And that's what our sufferings go away. No, they don't. But all the, like our re, we, it reframes our perspective, right? It changes the way we live. And uh, that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to say. He's trying to get this across that, hey, look, Jesus is so much greater than what you're making him out to be. Uh, Jesus is greater than the angels. That's what we saw week one. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than all these good things we know about from religion. Uh, he's, um, he's greater than uh, any, any of the high priests before. He's greater than any of the uh, people we've had trying to atone ourselves. He's greater than any of us, any other human, right? Um, and so we're going to go into that more. Uh, and we're talking about three things in which Jesus is more attributes of Jesus that help us uh, learn how to respond to him. 
So the first is Jesus is the apostle and high priest. And so uh, back to Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in God's house. So this first point, apostle. Apostle is uh, a delegate, right? An apostle is somebody who is sent on behalf of some authority uh, with that authority's authority. That's a little wordy there, but basically, it's like if I was sent as the apostle of a king, I'm not only going to deliver the message, I'm not only under mission, I'm not only representing the kingdom and the king, I also, the king has given me his authority to act on him. If they accept my message, uh, I can act on the king's behalf and otherwise, right? Jesus is the apostle, and if you're like me, you got kind of confused by that, like, wait, what about the 12 apostles? And the key here is that Jesus is the, is the apostle of the Father. Jesus is coming on the authority of the Father, and we see this all throughout John, and we see this all throughout the Gospels, where Jesus is saying, uh, I and the Father are one. If anybody wants to come to the Father, he has to come through me. That's John 14, 6 we were talking about earlier, where he says, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he goes on to tell them, I and the Father are one. If you know me, you know the Father. Um, And so, uh, Father God, you know, as far as being the ultimate truth, the person who is sovereign over everything, who's created everything. If you know Jesus, you know the attributes of God, right? And uh, the 12 apostles were apostles because now Jesus was sending them out on his authority, right? He's saying, now you can cast out demons, uh, you can proclaim forgiveness on my behalf, like I'm the one forgiving, but you can proclaim to people that their sins are forgiven. And that's where we find now, like, pastors, right? Pastors are proclaiming to us the truth, and they're saying, like, if you believe in God, like the Bible says, your sins are forgiven. Is the pastor forgiving your sins? No, it is God's forgiving your sins. It's your sins being put onto the cross with Jesus and his righteousness being put on you. Um, And so uh, what is the message Jesus brings? It's the gospel. That's what we just talked about earlier, where Jesus came and he died for our sins. Um, And the message is from the kingdom of heaven. And uh, if you're a believer, you've been made a disciple of Christ and also a messenger. And so that 2 Corinthians 5, 20 uh, through 21, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And there we see, like, exactly what I just said, just ten times better because it's the Bible. But uh, the, the thing is, we are ambassadors, right? We are representing the kingdom of God. That's our nation now. We've been called apart. Uh, and we are living for this nation, and we're an ambassador in a dark world that we're no longer a part of. We've been called out of. Um, and uh, we are proclaiming the message of the gospel. And so just to harp on this word of ambassador, Uh, So let's think about like a modern context that we have like a diplomat or an ambassador. If I was the uh, ambassador from Kuwait, let's just say, and I'm here and I'm in America and I'm the ambassador from Kuwait and uh, y'all see me like robbing stores and like doing all these different things and just saying like, ah, diplomatic community, ah, gotcha. You know, like that reflects so terribly on the country of Kuwait, right? And so likewise, we are called to be a 
really ambassadors of the kingdom of God, right? That's what that's just saying. And God is making an appeal through us, through our lives and through our proclamation of the gospel. Uh, the way we live reflects on our master. If somebody sees you living like a complete hooligan and being a horrible person, nobody wants, would never, nobody would ever want to visit your nation, let alone ever consider joining it, anything like that, right? And so uh, that brings us kind of into the next aspect, which is the high priest. Uh, and like we were talking about earlier, uh, the Hebrews here was especially resonated with this because they were aware of the old covenant. The old covenant is where God set up a system of sacrifices and ceremonial laws to demonstrate really that we aren't good enough to atone for ourselves. There was a tabernacle and then later a temple where God resided, where his presence was most found, right? And he was most in the Holy of Holies. And nobody could enter into this part of the temple except for the high priest. And the high priest was chosen uh, each year to go and give uh, sacrifices on behalf of the nations, uh, or their nation. And so it's this idea of uh, if, like, for instance, like me and my siblings, like we did many times, like did something wrong, we might choose one of us to go talk to mom or dad, right? And it's kind of this idea and of like, the high priest is representing everybody in the tribe and going before God and asking for atonement. And the high priest would have to go through like a month of cleanings and uh, different like prayers of repentance and different rituals to try to purify himself. And oftentimes the high priest died once he entered into the Holy of Holies, right? Because God is so holy that sin cannot be in his presence. And so now we have Jesus come on the scene, right? And just like we talked about earlier, Jesus became sin. God made him sin, even though he knew no sin, so that we may become righteous. Our sin was put on him on the cross, and his righteousness was put on us, right? And so now we have the old, co old covenant's been fulfilled by Jesus's perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. And uh, the veil, like to signify this, uh, the veil of the Holy of Holies in the Holy... In, in the temple, it tore in two, right? Some of us may have heard this on Easter, that when Jesus died, the veil torn two. And that doesn't just represent it. Also, is God's presence is now amongst us all, right? The Holy Spirit can dwell in each of us, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, we now don't have to have this intercession through an earthly high priest, and we don't have to bet and see, like, okay, is this high priest good enough to you know, for God to accept him and maybe accept our, you know, sacrifices. There was one sacrifice paid once and for all by one high priest, and that was the importance of Jesus becoming man, right? Uh, that's what we talked about kind of in Hebrews 2 last time, and what we'll talk about again in Hebrews 4, so I'm not going to harp on it too much, but Jesus had to become man so that he could sympathize with us, right? His brothers and sisters, he had to sympathize with us, but also he had to present our case on our behalf, right? Just like the high priest, he had to go before God and say, like, me and my brothers and sisters. And so now that we're adopted into Christ's family, Christ, when you're a believer, Christ stands before God and he says, here, like, here, me and my brothers, like, we're seeking atonement. And God accepts him because of his perfect life. Um, and we, too, we're called to be royal priests under the high, under the high priest, right? Right. Uh, as priests, we bring people to God, right? We're bringing people before God uh, so that uh, they might be in his presence. We're also interceding for people through prayer. I'm sorry if this keeps, like, making noise. Uh, but uh, probably a little too late to apologize for that, right? Um, uh, and 
we also uh, like emulate the high priest, right? As the priest, many priests, we emulate the high priest. Um, and that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. And so Christ is the capital A apostle. He's the capital P priest, but we are followers of Christ and uh, called to be messengers proclaiming the truth. And we're called as a royal priesthood. In 1 Peter 2, don't know if we got that up yet. Yeah. So, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so here is, you know, the perfect summation of what I just said, that God has called us out of the world. We're no longer part of the world. We're sojourners, right? We're travelers through the world. We don't belong here. We belong somewhere else. Um, And uh, we've been called apart as this royal priesthood to bring other people to God and to represent uh, God's kingdom. And then Ephesians 1 through 2 tells us, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so there we have that. That's kind of the whole point of us being Christians, right? Little Christ is that we're supposed to imitate God and we're supposed to walk in the way Christ showed us how, right? And for us to be priests and messengers and ambassadors just like he was, we have to imitate his life, and we have that perfectly laid out in the Bible. Um, and if we go back to Second Corinthians 5.20, you don't have to go back there, but um, we see a therefore, right? It said that therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Um, and so, like, what is that talking about? Like, what is the therefore referring to? And it's referring to uh, earlier in the passage when it's talking about if you are a believer— You've been made new, right? The old is gone, the old has passed away, the new has come. You are a new creation, and so now you have this desire to be a messenger. You have this desire to live your life as a witness, to be a priest, right? Um, Priest, not in the sense of like everybody has to be a pastor, but in the sense that everybody can minister to other people and advance the gospel in the way they live, in the way they talk. And so uh, if that desire is not there, I I just want to pose the question, and we'll come back to it. Are you saved? Are you a believer? Are you struggling with belief right now? Uh, is your, does your life emulate Christ? Do you have a desire to emulate Christ? Maybe you're in sin and you know you're a believer, but you know you're just doing things that you don't want to be doing, that you're ashamed of. Uh, there's grace, right? Uh, turn to God and he will help you emulate him. The Holy Spirit should be convicting us where we're falling short and should be bearing fruit through us and pushing us to do so. And that brings us to uh, the second point that's in this passage. Jesus is greater than Moses, the greatest prophet. And so just really quick before we go on in the passage, we're going to start in Hebrews 1 uh, again, and you'll see how it says, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. And so I just want to focus on what consider Jesus means. So this word for consider in Greek, it's talking about a deep understanding. Uh, Particularly, it's saying to observe, understand, consider attentively. And the image here portrayed by this word uh, that a reader of Greek would have taken away is to fix your eyes upon or mind upon, right? And so literally, well, actually, it's fix your eyes and mind upon. And so we have this image that this is the first command in 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 this passage, right? And that's to consider Christ, to fix our eyes and our minds upon what Christ is. Um, And so uh, with that in mind, uh, 
we look at how this relates to Moses. Okay, Palmer, you said that. What does that have to do with Moses? Um, so it talks about in verse 5 how Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that will be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Um, and we see this elsewhere where uh, the scriptures are clearly attesting that Moses was a foreshadowing of Christ, right? Christ did everything Moses was set out to do, but better and on a greater scale. A good example of this, John three fourteen through 15 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Uh, and you'll notice John three fourteen three fifteen doesn't get read a whole lot compared to John three sixteen, which I think many of us have heard. Um, but it's maybe equally as important because it's showing what it means to have faith in God and what it means to believe. Um, the story that this is referencing it's in Numbers 21, and this is when uh, the Hebrews were wandering around the wilderness um, and were in a pattern of unbelief. Uh, From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. Uh, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Praise the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Um, and so comparing it back to John 3, 14 through 15, Jesus is saying, just like that bronze serpent was lifted up, I have to be lifted up too for eternal life. And so just quickly, if we notice, the serpents are coming and being sent by God as punishment for unbelief, right? Um, and these people, uh, they have basically two options. They can try to fight the serpents, but if they get, they're pro- get bit, they're probably going to die. Or they can do the irrational, kind of non-intuitive, counterintuitive thing to do, and that's to, once they get bit, forget about all the snakes that are around them and look to this bronze serpent that's being held up by Moses. And it doesn't make sense. You know, I think a lot of us would be like, no, I'm trying to fight the snakes. Like, this is so stupid. But, uh, and it says many people died. Many people did not believe. And it seems like a ridiculous, like, thing to be asked to do, uh, to just surrender Uh, But that's exactly what we're called to do, right? Um, That's what Jesus means by, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, um, you know, so that anyone who looks upon him will have eternal life. And in the same way, we're called not to try to atone for ourselves like, uh, you know, the Hebrews had and like we tend to do. We're not trying to work for our salvation. We can't. Uh, As the circumstances of life come to us, we can't defeat them all. We have to surrender to God, and we have to fix our gaze on Jesus and who he is, and that changes everything about our lives, right? Um, and uh, we see kind of like how meaningless the lives of the Hebrews would be if they don't do that, right? Uh, they've been wandering around for 40 years in the desert. They've seen God take them out of things again and again, but they're still wandering around, and they're not going to reach the promised land. God told many of them, like, you're not going to see the promised land because of unbelief. Um, if they didn't have any eternal mindset at all, if there was not that remnant of Israel that, was, that had faith, then what would be the point of all the wandering around, of all the snakes attacking, of all the people dying, of being hungry, eating 
plain food every single day, the same thing, uh, being lost, right? Like what would be the point if they didn't have an eternal perspective? And it's because there was meaning to it, right? And so right back to verse three, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has, uh, has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Uh, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful uh, over God's house as a son. And so we see right here that Jesus, the word for counted worthy here, it means uh, to be fit for, to be rightly, to rightly deserve, to be entitled to. And so when we're saying counted worthy, it's not like our opinion. It's the fact that Jesus, by the nature of who he is, is deserving of all glory, right? And so our only response to Jesus, the only appropriate thing, and uh, one day, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, when you see Jesus come back, every knee will bow because Jesus, by nature of who he is, deserves all the glory, uh, and we have to fix our eyes upon him. Uh, And uh, so, yeah, Jesus is greater than Moses. You know, that's kind of the point, that Jesus fulfilled what Moses couldn't. Moses brought the law, but Jesus brought grace. Um, And then also, just as people look to the things Moses did in God's name uh, for uh, to be saved from certain earthly circumstances, we look to Jesus for much more. On to the third point. Jesus is faithful over God's house. And starting in verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Right? And so what we have here is that Jesus has faithfully lived out the will of God, and he stewarded all that he was appointed to. He had a calling, and we see that in Philippians 2, uh, that uh, he was called to be humbled even to the point of death and death on a cross, right? And he lived out that calling. He submitted to the Father's will. Um, and so looking back really quick at verse 6, uh, what does it mean by God's house? Um, it's a little bit confusing, like all the, the houses being thrown around in this passage, but the house is referring uh, really to us, and we're going to talk about that later. Um, and it's you if you're a believer. You're a part of that house, and you are that house if you're a believer. If you're not, you have the opportunity today. And so uh, we look at the word for house before we go in, because there's three kind of ideas behind what the house is, um, and they're all implied in this text, and that's oikos. And some of you might recognize oikos. It's uh, yogurt, right? Like, there's, there's, it means house, but for some reason a yogurt brand was like, ah, Greek yogurt, house, oikos, let's do it. And so there's oikos yogurt. But this is talking about a house. And so the first meaning is God's house is his family, uh, the family of God, the church. And so this is back in verse 1 where it talks about we're holy brothers. Um, and this word for brothers, like it means brothers, but what's implied here is that we are brothers and sisters. We're all siblings and adopted children of God, right? Um, and we share in that heavenly calling Uh and the, the word for calling here is uh, a call unto salvation, first of all. It's a call to justification, which is our initial salvation. It's a call to live like Christ. It's a call to die to self. And then it's a call to one day share an eternity with Christ and the other believers, right? And uh, the word here uh, also uh, is used specifically for an invitation to a feast, 
So if you receive a calling uh, in this particular sense, in this particular usage of that Greek word, it refers to a feast. And so we're literally being called to join in with the feast that's going to happen in heaven one day, the celebration of God's victory and God's kingdom, right? Uh, And we can participate in that now too. We can share in that meaning. There's only going to be two things happening. Well, there's only three options once you're dead. Either uh, I'm wrong and nothing happens, right? Um, Or you spend an eternity in hell or you spend an eternity in heaven at this feast. Um, And to me, it seems like even excluding the nothing option, right? If we're looking at heaven and hell, living a life for myself does not equate to either of those, right? There's no justification for me living how I want to live in just kind of a meaningless rinse and repeat way and not serving an eternal purpose, not to mention uh, the Holy Spirit's completely changed me and it's not a matter of I want to escape hell. It's I want to serve something that's far beyond myself. I want to serve the person who saved me from certain doom, who uh, allows me to overcome my sin, overcome the meaningless that my life was and live for meaning now, even in the small things, right? Um, And then also, uh, we're brothers in Christ and we're brothers of Christ. That was in Hebrews 2 as well, that uh, we, because Jesus became like us and he died for us, those who believe and join him and are adopted into God's family, we're his brothers. And that's why he's such a good high priest, right? Um, And we're adopted because of Jesus and what he did for us. And that's in Galatians as well. Um, and so Ephesians 4 says, uh, 4, one says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so here we are. We have an eternal calling, right? And so we have, a, we have an end goal. We have something that's been done for us now. And now we have this middle ground, right? So where we can, we can serve God and we can have a meaningful existence and an abundant life. Um, and it's about us like in verse 6, like when it was saying, uh, if we are his, his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Um, and so if we do that, like we are living, right, we're, we're living for Christ and we're living for something meaningful and we get to be his house. The second meaning is God's house is his household. And so the household in uh, Greek times was kind of an idea because they had a lot more than just uh, the nuclear family in the household you had grandparents, you had maybe even cousins and aunts in the house, and you had a large farm, and anybody who's working on the farm lived in this household, right? Not necessarily the same building, but the household that's under the father of the house, and you also have servants there too, and so we get to be a part of his house. We get to be under his care and under his watch, right? And uh, kind of in this, we see uh, a similarity between this passage in Romans 6, where it's talking about you can be a slave to two things. You can either be a slave to sin or a slave to God. And that's really, like, not something we we really agree with when we first hear that, right? It doesn't sit well with us. We're like, no, I, I can do what I want. I can just sign my own meaning. Uh, I can do whatever I want with my life. But when you do whatever you want with your life, that's exactly what the devil wants you to do with your life, right? You are... If you're living for your pleasure, uh, I mean, I think we all kind of know how that is. Like, uh, if you are somewhere you don't want to be, uh, you don't wake up the next morning 
very happy. If you're struggling with a porn addiction, with alcohol addiction, drug addiction, whatever it might be, addiction's not where you want to be. You can satisfy that pleasure, but it does nothing for you, right? It doesn't advance you. It doesn't give you any meaning. It's just a rinse and repeat. Why do we put ourselves through these things over and over again? Why do we commit the same sins and feel the same shame and just get stuck in it, right? Uh, it leads to depression, anxiety. This world has very little offer for us, right? We think things are getting better. Yes, we have modern conveniences like AC and, uh, you know, like heating and all that jazz, but we have higher depression rates, anxiety rates, suicide rates than ever before. Um, we see violence just happening at a different level, right? We see, uh, you know, bullying and like people being disconnected and people feeling isolated more than ever. Um, and we just see a lot of meaninglessness, right? More people than ever would say that there's no meaning to life. Um, and so uh, here, God's saying, just come under my care. Stop trying to do things on your own and enslaving yourself to sin. We don't realize it, but when we try to live for ourselves, we're living shackled, right? We're living shackled to sin. That's exactly where sin wants us to be. Uh, in, in Romans 6, it talks about how the only fruit that comes from slavery to sin or working for sin or presenting yourself to sin is regret, right? Shame and death. And that's what we have. And it's a very uh, meaningless and hopeless existence, right? Uh, Ecclesiastes talks about uh, vapor and how everything is vanity. Uh, and the word for vapor there is that... Uh, or the word for vanity is vapor. And so it's this idea of you're reaching out to grasp steam or smoke and you're not catching it, right? Because you can't. It's ever shifting. It's ever changing. It's not there. It's an illusion. And when we chase satisfaction in things, I think we all know uh, anything we chase satisfaction in, whether it's just simple things like, uh, you know, just relationships, uh, whether it's an addiction, whatever it might be, you return to it again, right? Because it leaves you unsatisfied. And it's just sad that we would do this over and over again. And God wants us to be under his care. Uh, slavery had a different con context here when it's saying being a slave to God. Being a slave to, to sin is pretty much the same thing when we think of the racial slavery that happened in America, right? It is something you were born into, and by virtue of who you are, you are subjected to this like oppressive and unending and malevolent slavery. Whereas what happens with God is God liberates us from that and we get to be his bond servants, right? And that's kind of the idea that's in the Bible there. Bond servant is complete, something completely different than the American slavery we've seen in the past. And we kind of have a bad like, connotation when we hear slavery. And I'm sure they did too. Nobody wants to be a slave per se. But a bond servant is somebody who entrusted themselves to their master because they really couldn't do a better job of handling their life, right? For one reason or another. And so God's saying, like, I want to adopt you into my household as a son and as a bond servant. I want you to be under my care and I care about you. Uh, the world wants to chew you up and spit you out. It wants to leave you unsatisfied. It want to leave you scarred, damaged, wounded. Uh, and you, we, we walk into it, right? We just walk right into it. Uh, John 10.10 10 tells us, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. Um, yeah, there it is, right? Jesus has come so that we can have abundant life. Uh, that's meaningful, right? 
that we have abundant life. Abundant, it literally means like it's referring to eternal life, but it also means now we have this peace that surpasses all uh, understanding. That's Philippians 4, 6. If you're a believer, uh, you've likely experienced this. Actually, if you are a believer, you have experienced this, this peace that surpasses all understanding. And you may struggle with depression, you may struggle with anxiety, but it's different now. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And if you've never felt that peace before, I invite you today to do that. And the third, and it's right, fits right in, the third thing is that God's house is us, right? We are the dwelling place of God. Uh, the old temple that was torn in two, right? The old tabernacle where the holies of holies resided that no one could access. We can access it now, not because God just dwells in this room with us, because when two or more people are gathered in his name, he's there also, the scriptures tell us. But it also, uh, it's also that the Holy Spirit is literally indwelling us. And so we have the peace of God in us. Um, and 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18 tells us, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawness? Uh, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Uh, Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will come to you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord uh, Almighty. And so we, right here we have that God is coming to dwell in us and among us. Uh, When I read among us the first time, I was like, oh no, I was like, Thankfully, y'all didn't laugh, but now that I pointed out now, you, you did. Great. But, uh, but, but literally, God does want to dwell among us and in us. He's in us. He's among us corporately. <laughs> among us corporately. And he, but he's in us spiritually, right? The Holy Spirit is in us. Um, and as that passage was indicating, if, if he's in us, then sin is not of us, right? If we've died to sin, and live to Christ, then we shouldn't keep returning to sin. We shouldn't be shackled to sin anymore. Uh, conviction should be there, and the, the process of sanctification where we're overcoming our sins should be started, or at least we should want to engage in it, right? Um, uh, and it says, what fellowship does Christ have with Belial? That's like, what does fellowship does Christ have with Satan? If you're serving yourself, you are in fellowship with Satan, right? You're doing exactly what he wants you to. The thief is coming to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And Jesus wants you to have an abundant life. And if we're the temples of God now, uh, how could we have a different idol? Like, let's say if in this church there was uh, a Hindi god or uh, a statue of Buddha, you'd be very confused at the very least. And I'd be willing to say if you were a Christ follower, you'd kind of abhor it. You'd be like, why do we have statues to other gods in this place of worshiping God? And our lives should be the same way. If we're a temple and a church to God our, ourselves, then our lives should be free of these idols, right? Um, and 1 Corinthians six nineteen tells us the same thing. Or do you not know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And then it goes on to say, you have been bought with a price. Uh, you can't go on living in slavery to sin if you've been freed, right? Uh, if you've noticed that you're in slavery to sin, uh, if you're a believer, uh, you know, that, that's a hard circle to square. I'm just going to let you know. And so now we go into how do we respond? Um, if you're a believer, you need to examine yourself. Um, in Hebrews 12, um, 
Uh, 14 right here it says take care brothers lest there be any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end Um, and so we there we have it if you're a believer uh, first of all examine yourself check for unbelief if you see yourself starting to trend to unbelief if you see yourself backsliding Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Uh, that's not a slide, but it uh, should have been. Uh, the, uh, but, but in all seriousness, we have to examine ourselves. That says it throughout most, like, multiple books of the Bible. The entire book of 1 John uh, is great. If you're really struggling with, am I saved? Read that book. Um, because we can't walk in darkness anymore. We can't fellowship with Belial. We cannot have these idols and these sins that we're shackled to in our lives. Will we still sin? Of course, right? Of course we'll still sin. We're humans. But does it define your life? If it defines your life, if you're living in shame, like God wants to take that from you. He wants to take the shame from your past sins from you. And, you know, it talks about there, it says, exhort each other, one, one another, as long as the day is called today. Um, if, if you are in a space, you know, where you're serving God, and maybe you're still struggling with sin, like we all probably should be because we're human, uh, like we are to exhort one another, right? We're supposed to be a part of community, part of this body, a part of the house of God, right? Us as individual houses of God are part of the house of God as the church, and we should be exhorting each other, encouraging each other, and keeping each other accountable. Uh, you know, it says in uh, verse 6, it says, uh, if indeed we hold fast our confidence, um, uh, we, if indeed we hold, uh, we, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And so right here, the word for confidence uh, means free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, boldness, and assurance. It's a public profession of what you believe, right, through your actions and your life, and both those things should line up. Uh, the most Christian thing about you should not be a cross necklace. It should not be a tattoo. The most Christian thing about you should be your life, right, and the way you proclaim Christ. Um, and uh, does your life do that? Do you have this confidence in Christ? Uh, do you have this bold assurance? Uh, if you're a believer, uh, it's time to seek that, right? Uh, and if you've never had that, then maybe you're not a believer. Um, remember, belief is looking to the example of Christ, right? It's fixing your eyes on Christ and deciding nothing else matters. I'm res- stopping my resistance. I'm pursuing God. I have my eyes fixed on him, and I'm running the race. Um, it's not a prayer you said once when you were in second grade. Are you living in sin? Uh, were you, you know, you have to ask yourself these things. You might be grappling with them now. Was I ever saved? Do I really feel conviction? Uh, am I, are you depressed or ashamed because of your sin? Uh, is it keeping you hung up? Uh, if you're a non-believer uh, or a believer, no matter what, no matter if you don't know where you're at, the good thing is, is you can respond, right? Uh, if we go to verse 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Um, Yeah, today, right? That's the key word here. Today, if you have heard his voice. And so 
as long as today is called today, that was kind of what verse 13 said, as long as today is called today, you have a chance to respond, right? If it, today, if you are hearing his voice, right now, under the sound of my voice, you're hearing the gospel proclaimed, you've seen it on the screen, the word is there before you, God's voice is there for you. I, it's not my voice, uh, hopefully God has a much lovelier voice than mine, but uh, the, the word is being proclaimed through this here, you're under the sound of God's voice. The God, God's voice is also in you right now. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you of something, that's God's voice, right? And don't harden your hearts, right? If you harden your hearts, it makes it more difficult each time. And uh, it says in Romans 1 uh, through 2 that uh, if you harden your heart, uh, you know, eventually God gives you what you want. If you're not responding to conviction, if you're not accepting the call to a meaningful life, he'll let you go to meaninglessness. Uh, it says multiple times in Romans 1 and 2, I think about four different times, it talks about how God gave people up to their sinful desires, to their lust, uh, to their greed, to their pride, um, to their shameful and meaningless ways of living, right? And uh, God doesn't do this with great joy, it says in Second uh, Peter three nine that God desires for all to come to repentance. Um, we we have the option before today. If you feel conviction, respond because you might not get another shot. And that's not just because you might die tomorrow. It might be because for the rest of your life you'll never feel conviction again. And that's a scary thing. We're like, no, that's there's no way that happens. No, that that happens. And Second uh, Timothy uh, two twenty five tells us that God doesn't always grant repentance. He doesn't. Second uh, Peter 2 talks about how, um, you know, some, some people just reject it, right? Um, and so today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Don't be like those people in the wilderness who had no meaning. If you lose sight of unbelief, wilderness, by the way, that's life. We're lost astray in the wilderness. Um, we're the people being attacked by snakes, right? And the snakes are bringing us down. Uh, were the people wandering around and who provoked God and God said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. We have an opportunity to have meaning in this meaningless life, right? Uh, this going through the motions. If you're tired of going through the motions and aiming towards nothing, if you're tired of feeling ashamed, uh, tired of feeling broken, God wants to mend you. He wants to use you. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're a believer, don't settle for, don't settle for it, right? Go for an abundant life. Um, go for a meaningful life. Um, back to Skillet. Uh, Skillet uh, has a really good lyric about this. It has a lot of lyrics. It deals, their lyrics deal a lot with like mental health, depression, shame from sin, feeling like a monster. Some of you might know that song, but my, my personal favorite, <laughs> nice, uh, but my, fa my personal favorite song right now is Never Surrender. In the course of it goes, I don't want to feel like this tomorrow. I don't want to live like this today. Make me feel better. I want to feel better. I need to feel better. Stay with me here now and never surrender. Right, and I think that sums up a lot. If you don't want to feel the way you feel now, if you don't want to feel sh ashamed tomorrow, if you don't want to live like the way you're living today, God can make you better, and He's offering that. He offers you an abundant life, and He offers to mend you. Right? He offers to take away that shame. If you believe in Christ, that shame, that sin is on the cross, and your righteous God sees His Son when He looks at you. Right? And that's such a beautiful image. Um, 
don't be the wicked generation that hardens its heart and didn't enter the rest of God. Um, when and This could be you as an unbeliever, don't keep hardening your heart, but it also could be you as a believer. Don't settle for a life where you're running back to sin and putting the shackles up back on. Why would you do that? If you've been truly freed, why would you do that, right? And you have to ask yourself if you're truly saved in that regard. But if you're a, a, a believer, don't be the dog that returns to his own vomit. Second uh, Peter 2 talks about how for those who, I don't know if I have it up there, but for those who uh, have heard the news of Christ, who've accepted it, and then they return back to their old way of living, uh, the second state is worse than the first, it says. And it compares those people. Uh, it says it would have been better for them to never have known. They're like dogs that return to their own vomit, uh, deer that have been cleaned that return to the mire, to the swamp, to roll around and get messy. Why would we do that? Why do we want to be a dog that goes to its own vomit, right? Um, and we have the opportunity to avoid that, right? You can leave that cycle that you're trapped in. Uh, here we are again. Hebrews repeats the call. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, right? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Surrender to God, repent to him, or repent of your sins and put your faith in him, believe in him. There is a promised land, there's rest. There's rest now in this life, right? Then the, but we'll still have troubles, right? We're not promised that the snakes won't bite us. Uh, we're promised that they won't take us down and that we can, through our afflictions, make Christ known. Uh, I have really bad ulcers right now. None of you probably could tell, and I'm giving all the glory to God. I've had bad ulcers my whole life. Used to get seven or eight of them at a time. Uh, my record's 21. Uh, I've had just insane problems with ulcers, and Monday I could not speak. I literally was unable to speak because the pain was so bad. They're all through the corner of my mouth right here. Um, and uh, to, you know, it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, why am I preaching this week of all weeks? Um, and how am I doing this right now? I don't know. I'm going to chalk it all up to the Holy Spirit, right? Because uh, I'm not feeling the pain at all. I might feel it later. But I was, I was not even able to speak when I woke up this morning. Uh, and, uh, you know, it reminds me of when Paul says uh, he's pleading with God. He has a thorn in his flesh, he says, not a literal thorn. We don't know exactly what it is, but he has something that's really ta taking him down, right? And he's saying, he pleads with God three times, please take this away from me. And God says, no, I'm not going to. My strength is made uh, perfect in your weakness. My grace abounds. My grace is sufficient for you. And so today, if you're dealing with something that's taking you down, right, uh, may not be like a physical ailment like ulcers, <laughs> but if you're dealing with shame, if you're dealing with addiction, if you're trapped in this cycle of returning to pornography, returning to alcohol, returning to sexual immorality, and you don't want to do that anymore, if you live with Christ once and remember how abundant that life was. If you know you want to live an abundant life, do that, right? Respond. Uh, and we'll have a time of response today. And I want to leave you with this verse. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God deeply desires for you to be his child today. He wants you to be his house. He wants to dwell within you. He wants to mend everything that's broken in you. He wants to heal those scars, right? He wants to make you feel better, and he wants to stay with you and never give up on you and never surrender on you. Uh, the question is, do you not want to live like this anymore? 
Do you not want to live like this tomorrow? Do you not want to feel like this today? Uh, and so we're going to about to have a time of response. Uh, you can feel free to pray where you're at. You can come to the altar and pray. Uh, there are going to be some leaders that come up front, uh, maybe as you come up front, or there's going to be some already standing who can talk with you if you really need to talk through something. I'll be down front as well. Uh, Will's going to be singing, oh, oh, come to the altar. And starts off, are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. Come to the altar, whether that's at your seat or whether that's up here. Repent, Right? Don't live in meaningfulness anymore. Don't live in this cycle that's just chewing you up and spitting you out, right? God wants you to have an abundant, meaningful life. He wants to give you eternal life. Uh, he desperately desires for you to be his child today. And no matter how far you've run, uh, he wants to bring you back home. That's the prodigal son, right? Whether you're a believer or unbeliever, he wants you to come back home. Let's pray. Dear God, in this time, uh, I pray that you really work in our hearts, Lord, that whether we're a believer or an unbeliever, no matter how we're living, I pray that you convict us of areas where we need to grow towards you, Lord, whether that's uh, giving up certain sins or whether that's pursuing you more, whether that's pursuing you for the first time and surrendering our lives to you, Lord. Uh, I pray that uh, for those people in here who, uh, who want to believe in you, that they would just pour themselves out, that they'd say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I need to repent. I know I need you. I'm tired of this worthless life. I want to come to you. You offer me rest. I want rest, Lord. Give me a meaningful life. Save me. Spare me from hell. Uh, I want eternity. I believe you're God's son. I believe that you died on the cross and rose for me. And I believe that your sins are on the cross. And maybe... Maybe we're a believer and we have to pray that same prayer because we, we have to remind ourselves we were, we were off in a pattern of sin and we want to get rid of that, Lord. I pray that you convict us all uh, and I pray that you really move through us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name.